Hi, I'm Janet Deneef, founder and director of the Ubud Writers and Readers Festival. You are about to hear one of the highlight sessions of the 2021 event, which featured more than 150 storytellers and was explored through our theme, Mulat Sarira, self-reflection. So please settle in and let the magic of our 18th year continue. Dear human rights activist and defender and the founder and the founder of many, many, many organizations. <laughs> Ambassador Lewis had held the position of Deputy Chair of the Human Rights Investigation Commission uh, for East Timor. He was International Advisor for Human Rights Advocates in Berkeley, United States, and he's a member of the Asian Human Rights Commission in Hong Kong. Prior to being appointed as ambassador, he also serves as chair of the Indonesian Crisis Group, the ICG International Foundation. He was chairperson of the Indonesian Registered Patents Consultant Association, chairperson of the Indonesian Corruption Watch, ICW Ethical Council, and the International Arbitrator Chamber of Commerce, ICC, in France. He is also law professor in the University of Melbourne. Hello, uh, Ambassador. How are you? Hello, Debra. How are you? <laughs> Is it cold, nice and nippy over there in Oslo? Well, it's a bit cold, but I survived. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I bet in Ubud they're having nice weather. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, with, yes. With His Excellency um, Ambassador Lubis, is Ibu Eti Mariani. She is co-founder and the chief editor of Project Multatuli, a journalism initiative focusing on serving the marginalized in Indonesia. Uh, Ibu Eti is a journalist with 20 years experience. She was managing editor at the Jakarta Post, an English language media outlet, the English language media <laughs> outlet in Indonesia before building her own journalism initiative in January 2021. Her collaborative projects won the 2020 Public Service Journalism Award from the Society of Publishers in Asia and the 2020 Tasrif Award from the Association of Independent Journalists in Indonesia. Uh, Ibu Efi earned her master's degree from Universiteit van Amsterdam and was a 2011-2012 Hubert Humphrey Fellow at the University of Maryland. Welcome both of you, Ambassador Todung Mulia Lubis and Ibu Epi Mariani. Today our session, our session will be about uh, Mutatuli giving voice to the voiceless. Let's get down to business. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we start with Ibu Epi Dulu. Could you tell us a little bit about this new public journalism <laughs> initiative why it was created, and whether you think there is uh, room for, for another initiative um, similar to this, because we've seen some fly-by-night operations that came and went and didn't survive, and uh, do you think the Indonesian public is, is ready for such another initiative? Silakan, uh, thank you, Budebra. So, uh, Project Multatuli uh, was founded uh, in uh, April, May uh, 2021. It's very new, 
by uh, several journalists uh, from the Jakarta Post, from Compass, and also from Tirto. Uh, our board, among our board, are uh, Bumari Hartiningsi, Atinur Baiti from the Jakarta Post. Mm. You must uh, know them, right? So we built the initiative, like the the, the media outlet, as as a kind of like sort of self criticism on uh, journalism practices uh, uh, currently that we see as serve the elites more, it's male-centric, and it's urban, not only urban, right? Even Jakarta-centric, very Jakarta-centric. So we we di- we want to disrupt or challenge that, that situation. So we uh, decided, let's find, uh, let's uh, build something that is different. And uh, from early on, we uh, declared that we serve the underreported. And we also here to hold power accountable. Uh, so that's that's our uh, objective, like sort of like our mission. And then when we when it comes to searching for the name, which is like the hardest, mm. I think it's the hardest, hardest, hardest part. <laughs> I don't know how Pak Todung found a lot of organizations and find names <laughs> to a lot of them. <laughs> it was really hard for us, so we're playing like finding a lot of words, opening kamus uh, besar bahasa Indonesia like the 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 kamus, uh, and then we saw uh, media outlets outside the country, and we came across the Gekro the Gecko project, and then also Marshall project, and hey, why not doing something with a uh, project in it and. Put a like like borrow a name of someone who's uh, who's uh, aligned with our mission, and then one person say, "How about Mutatuli?" It's like we are like okay, even though we fully realize that actually Mutatuli is a white male <laughs> and comes from a very privileged place, right? <laughs> uh, we realize that, but and then. Um, we uh, uh, we ask our artist friend Cecil Mariani to 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 uh, design the logo, and she cleverly uh, split the face of Mutatuli and mm. make it like, a, a, and he, she said that it's it means to de- deconstruct uh, Mutatuli. Mm. So it means to open the conversation about 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 Mutatuli. That it means that we we don't. We, we respect him for what he did. We respect uh, what he wrote. Uh, he inspired us, but also I think it's not really, we, we don't feel the obligation to, to make him like a worship or, or, or making a cult around him. <laughs> maybe here it would be good. <laughs> maybe for, for the audience who do not know who Multatuli is, could you give a little background of who and so, what he yeah, was? Multat- uh, and his mm. original name wasn't Multatuli at all. Yes. Yeah. So Multatuli is a pen name, right? It's Latin for I have suffered uh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, his real name is uh, Dos Decker, Edward Dos Decker. And he wrote a book uh, titled Max Havlar that Pramudia Anantatur uh, wrote in the New York Times, I think, called the book as the book that ends colonialism. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and he spoke about the injustice the Indonesians uh, suffer in the hands of elites in uh, similarly Indonesian elites and Dutch uh, administrator and the book opened the eyes of a lot of Dutch people at the time about what what was happening in the Dutch Indies at the time so so that's the context and that's the spirit we we would like to uh would like to embrace in our initiative okay thank you that's as the opening oh, AC. Uh, ambassador ambassador todung mulia lubis you have been at the forefront of uh civil rights disobedience and also um human rights violations in indonesia for almost 50 years now that's half a century bang <laughs> and, yes. Uh, you know for a fact that um, the powers that be vilified freedom of speech, vilified the press for revealing truths and um, information that gave power to people's thinking and tried to cover it up. How do you think uh, in this day and age uh, where we are uh, bombarded with fake news and with post-truths and with... Um, mm. uh, all that sort of thing with social media, we never trained ourselves as a society to have solid information before we make informed action. And now we are faced with this. And here is um, the Multatuli project, mm. Project Multatuli trying to trying to uh, give a new voice in, in that array. Uh, what's your take on that? Ambassador? Well, uh, first of all, Debra, let me say, it's nice to be back here. Having been away for three and a half years, I always go, want to go back to, to Ubud. Yeah? Although at the moment, it is not possible to go back to Ubud because I'm still here for another half, uh, half years, perhaps. But uh, let me uh, start by complimenting Avi uh, Mariani for taking the initiative uh, to set up Project Mutatui. You need you know, uh, more time to uh, reflect, of course, yeah? but in my uh, own uh, opinion, there's always room for another media outlet. In the past, we used to have what we call underground outlet. There's a place for underground outlet, even. So uh, I, I'm not worried at all. Yeah, uh, I remember uh, I don't recall whether Debra uh, joined us at the time when we were taken to uh, Poland yeah, by George Soros. Yeah. Hmm. We were introduced to a man who ran a very small mini publications. That's what he did for life. But it was not a mainstream media, but it offered alternative news, alternative opinion, alternative uh, report to the public, you know, at last. And, well, uh, they may not have millions of uh, readers, but they contribute something to the society, to the community. I think Project Multatuli would contribute a lot to the voiceless or marginalized people. For me, when uh, Deborah talked about public service journalism. Every media, in my opinion, 
has to do with public service. We know that media has been described as the fourth state, yeah, the fourth branch of power in U.S. and I think in every country. So the function of the press is always the same yeah, everywhere, although to a certain degree you have a lot of limitations, yeah, restrictions, but it is the duty of the media, of the free press, to expose wrong, to expose wrongdoings. We cannot stop doing that. What has, what, what has been published by Pandora, I think you know Pandora, yeah? uh, <laughs> that has been publicized widely, that is a good thing. That is something that we need to awaken us, that corruption is still very endemic, very systemic, very widespread. And even though a lot of countries have what they call anti-corruption agencies, but the corruption still still there, yeah, uh, very endemic. And I guess what has been done by Pandora is something that we have to continue. Yes. Well, we may not be able to change the attitude of the people overnight, but it is our job, it's our duty to state the facts, to provide information needed by the society to make an informed judgment. How can they make informed judgment if they don't have all this information available? Now, you can talk about human rights, you can talk about social justice, you can talk about democracy, you can talk about good governance, plurality. You need all this information in order to understand what's going on. You need all the information to make an informed judgment. So uh, for me, yeah, what's been done by, by uh, Evi Mariani, uh, in Jakarta Post now with Project Multatuli, you know, is something that, yeah, must be done by others as well. Yeah. Uh, now with the social media, there are a lot of rooms, a lot of opportunities. You can have your own platform. You can uh, have, have your own talk show, yeah. Because uh, now we are competing. We are competing with all this differences of perspective, conflicting mm. and competing perspectives, yeah? So uh, not all of them are for public goods. There are also medias that was designed, set up to spread out to disseminate disinformation, uh, mm. fake, fake news, yeah? Well, yeah. it it will be there forever. Yeah, you will not be able to get rid of that. But if you have public with all this information in their hands, I guess we can mitigate the negative impact of fake news, of all this disinformation mm -hmm. campaign. That is what needed. So that's why this is part of the whole public movement to have freedom of speech, mm -hmm to have freedom of expression and to also educate all of us, you know, to be responsible, to be accountable, 
it's it's interesting that uh, that uh, Ambassador Lubis has mentioned that because here is a very new organization, a very new media outlet, just just appeared, and suddenly uh, mm -hmm. you make a story that the police are not doing something about a rape case of three little girls, and you are bombarded by cyber uh, a cyber attack, mm -hmm. and basically. Um, Project Multatuli was censored at the very beginning of its life. How how do you uh, how how did you react, uh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> First of all, I would like to uh, emphasize what Pak Bang Taudung said about about that that uh, journalism is uh, public duty. Yeah. In, in inherently like without without having to say public service journalism journalism in itself is actually uh public service and a lot of journalists well realize that yeah but we we project project mutatuli we say like out loud you know public service mm. journalism just to just to like some like keep keep it in tr on track again like uh remind us because uh the business model that owned by the politically wired tycoons and also venture capitalists that like maximus profit 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 clicks 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 you know page views <laughs> it has somehow veered journalism away from the public so we try to like pull it back but i totally agree that it's actually journalism is is public service so what we did uh, by uh, declaring that hey we, we serve the underreported is uh, is actually not very uh, is actually not nothing nothing really special about that. And when we publish this particular story, actually it's not really a, a very special not not like Pandora Pandora mm. or Panama and you know it's very special like collaborative very very big thousands and millions of data what we did was nothing nothing to it in 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 a sense that it's actually a report on on a, a case uh, well well okay the, the the crime itself is is not uh, is is extraordinary. The, the crime itself is is uh, uh, really horrible, but the way we report it is actually quite simple. What people, what what a lot of media didn't do was ask the victims. They did report the case in two thousand nineteen, actually, but they only quoted the police. So what we did was only like ask further. So the police said this, the police said like there was not enough evidence, the police said this. And the mother of the three children said, oh, but I have proof uh, to, to prove, uh, I have proof, I have pictures, I have videos to prove otherwise, but the police refused to look at them. So the, simply we, we, if you say giving voice to the voiceless or amplify the voices, what we did was simply like ask her, and publish what he, he said. Does it? And we verified to the police. We did. We did all 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 of those. So we we were very surprised when we got DDoS attack. Like only within about two hours after it was published, 
our readers said that we cannot open it. We cannot open it. We can access the article. And then in the morning, our IT officer said, yes, uh, there was like about 1.7 million attempt to uh, to flood the, uh, the website. It's confirmed that it's DDoS attack. And it was like, oh, okay. So um, what I want to emphasize also is that, can you imagine when you amplify the voice that underreported, it's actually very powerful, right? It's so powerful that the powers that be, like you would ever said, seem the need to the attack point. us. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it was like, what, what's, so, what's so special? It's not Pandora, Pandora paper. So it's, can you imagine what will happen to the people who are reporting the Pandora Papers leak? I hate to imagine what happens. There was uh, there was a discussion <coughs> with the Swedish embassy a while back, um, Ambassador Lubis, I think it was 10 days ago, whereby uh, the Indonesian counterpart, a journalist, a female journalist, suddenly told me this new information that a journalist was recently killed in Papua. A journalist yeah, yeah. was recently killed in Papua, and that was shocking news for me because since reform, we thought we are now an open society, we comply the freedom of speech, which is guaranteed by no less than the, mm. the, the constitution, the very constitution of the Republic of Indonesia. And here we are seeing journalists still being killed for uh, revealing uh, atrocities that, that occur in society. How do you look at that, uh, Ambassador? As, as well, a public, uh, um, defender okay. of human rights, as a public, as a defender of human rights. Okay, before I answer that, uh, Deborah, you know, let me you know just respond to Abby Mariani. You know, uh, yes, okay. There are two things here. One, you know, uh, when we talk about reporting, we really need investigative journalism because writing something, you know, without really investigating the whole facts yeah that would not bring you anywhere so uh having in, uh, investigation to all the facts to all the matters would help us to understand better what's going on but still one other things you have to keep in mind and i i, I keep reminding my, my media friends that we have to cover both sides now that's that's very important and what uh, was publicized by Evi Mariani is giving the other side of the story. Giving the other side of the story. So for me, if people are not happy with that, yeah, yeah, let's be it. Because uh, but we have to state the facts right away. And if you face cyber attacks because of your publications. That's a price we have to pay. That's a price that every critical media has to pay. Now, now uh, let me respond to uh, Deborah. Well, if you uh, recall, Deborah, a publications report by uh, Reporters Without Borders. Mm -hmm. 2019 is the years where you have so many reporters, journalists, yeah, killed in so many countries. Yeah. Uh, that was the worst, yeah, in journalistic uh, history. 
So uh, we are now facing a new tendency, a rise of illiberal policy. Illiberal policy meaning that the governments, those who are in power, introduce all the policies that restrict the medias, restrict freedom of association, restrict the, uh, well, NGOs, yeah, to do all the activities. So uh, this is the time when, yeah, media has to be extra careful because they are not free anymore. They are not free anymore because locally, nationally, regionally, there are so many forces watching them closely, watching them and trying to find anything, small mistakes to go after them. Now, well, if that is the case, yeah, then the media has to organize themselves in such a way to fight for this uh, oppression. Now, my problem is medias are not really that well united. The media has been so fragmented, yeah, so to speak. Mm. So I guess uh, we have to, yeah, to bring the voiceless, yeah, the marginalized people on board because the media cannot fight by themselves. Now, how to transform journalistic movement into a social movement? Now, if we can do it, yeah, we can replicate some of the success stories like in South Korea when they succeeded in uh, bringing the former presidents to court, send them to jail because of corruption. But if the anti-corruption or the media, the critical media movement is very urbanized, yeah, elitist, yeah. you will not be able to do it. My dream has always been to transform that into a social movement. That's why when I was with LBH, uh, Deborah, I, uh, mm-hmm. one of my program was to set up what we call legal aid society in every villages. It is the legal aid society consisting of not only lawyers and professionals, but the people themselves, the victims. They have to fight. They have to join the fight. They cannot let the, uh, the professional to fight for them. They have to, mm-hmm. to be part of the fight. So this is uh, something that, yeah, we have to think more, yeah, if we are to talk about social media, uh, public media, yeah, public service journalism, as, uh, yeah, uh, mentioned by, by Evi Mariani. We need human right, more human rights lawyers <laughs> like you, Patadu, <laughs> to, to defend journalists, please. <laughs> Okay, uh, Evi, this is this is what has been most pressing on my mind. The mainstream media was always an organization that had gatekeepers. So you uh, news were verified and verified and verified. You couldn't pass through all the gatekeepers. You couldn't um, put in news that was fake because there were at least four four steps that you had to pass through. Mm-hmm. There was the the redaction. First of all, there was your editor. Then the mm-hmm. the editorial board, and then and then you went to a, a, a what's it 
a language editor, and then you had to pass the final test, which was the 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 meeting, the the editorial meeting, the last meeting of the day, and however much. Uh, however thick the envelope that you were paid for by the by the person in the news to to gag the news you still couldn't pass through the editorial meeting at the end of the day because they were the ones who said yay or nay to any news that were, was printed we had a gatekeeper system in in uh, mainstream media now there is social media where mm. anybody can jump on a bandwagon, take up a microphone, and say anything they want at any given cost, any opinion, and call it news. I'm I'm thinking about um, <laughs> a bupati uh, ten days ago who put on social media that any of you in Bangkalan and Sumanap who take the vaccination, you will all die. This is. This is a, a, a public servant who said that. And so in Bangkalan and Sumanap, there is the lowest rate of vaccination ac acceptance in the country, 14%, while the rest of the country has already almost reached 80%. And this is so irresponsible. How are you, as, as uh, Project Multatuli, going to navigate in, in these sort of waters? Um, mm. Fake news, mm. post news. Uh, yeah. People shouting their mouths off for no good reason, irresponsibly, and here you are using a gatekeeper system. <laughs> you are yeah. shouting in the dark, trying to give a voice of sanity. How how do you plan to navigate this? Yeah, much has changed. Right, uh, Debra has been in the Jakarta Post for for a long time. The the gatekeeper keeping system was uh, was at the time like tertip, uh, it was like orderly. And digital disruption happened, right? Digital disruption appended, appended all the system, newsrooms, trying to find a way to, a uh, new way to survive, to, to, to stay relevant. And then there's this rise of citizen journalism with, uh, yeah, Good or bad, yeah. I mean, there's there's of course a lot of good good things about citizen journalism. So that's digital disruption, right? Uh, where people, uh, where where digital sphere is democratized in one way, but also there's no gatekeeping, as you said, right? <laughs> and there has been information clutter. Uh, so uh, you're you're totally right about trying to shout in the dark, like maybe not in the dark, but you're trying to shout in the sea of, uh, of information clutter, trying to, hey, this is uh, this is a, an important voice from a community that is marginalized, like religious minority, uh, sexual orientation minority, right? Uh, uh, poor, poor people who lost their lands, for example. Their voices are not heard among this information clutter, right? People mm. tend to like uh, click more on uh, infotainment or uh, sensational content, right? So that's the challenge uh, the journalists today have to face. So that's why we we uh, we try to not repeat the same mistakes. Like we we don't really want to to repeat the formula of uh, surviving our media through page views. Once we say that page views is very, very like the first thing that is important and nothing else, 
it's mm. uh, it, it will dumb down your news. It will dumb yeah. down your news. So so what we do is we do slow journalism. Uh, Project Multatuli, for example, we only do three three articles a week, three articles uh, a week, and each article is is kind of long form and uh, in depth, and it can be edited for days. While other news outlets I know, there are editors who are pressed to edit 15 articles a day, a day. Yeah. So, okay. uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's really the challenge and uh, how to make important things interesting and be heard by others. That's that's exactly the challenge I think uh, we have to, 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 uh, to take on. But I would also like to to comment on what Bang Todung said about um, that uh, social me uh, journalists to, to fragment it as a uh, and making like social movement about that. I I totally agree, Bang Todung, with that. I think yes, uh, we have to collaborate more because slow journalism, in-depth journalism, investigative journalism is very costly. So there's no way other than collaborate. So yes, we still do have to compete. Yes, uh, right to to like, you know, to just to keep the adrenaline going, right? But I think like Pando, like Pandora Panama is, is a colla- collaborative uh, journalist piece, right? So th- that's yeah. that's I think that's the way to go now uh, in in this century. I think we have to collaborate. We have to to. Uh, Collaborate more than we can be, I think. And mm. uh, uh, just just a little bit because this is uh, um, I'm mind blow, but blown by by this. So when we get attacked, right? P- uh, readers cannot access uh, the article, and they were say, oh, "I really want to read it, but I cannot uh, I cannot read it because the website is down." So on uh, yesterday, uh, October seventh, we 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 said on Twitter. Any, any media outlets that want to republish our piece, just email us and we will give you all the uh, the photographs, the illustration, the whole content, and the guidelines to republish our, our content. It's free for you to use. So far, we got 30. 30, mm. and it's Tempo. It's Compass.com. It's Suara.com. It's CNN. It's Vice Indonesia. They all republish uh, our articles. So mm. I, I was like... It, it, this has never happened before. So, so yes, it was fragmented, but uh, I feel that also since the new order, of course, you knew, you knew, uh, I think better than me, since the new order, solidarity among journalists is also has never faded away, I think. It's, 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 that, it's always there. Yeah, it's always there. Yeah, I read it, I read it not on, on Project yeah. Multatuli, but in other outlets, so, yes, so yeah, uh, thirty like bloggers, big media outlets, there student is. press. They they all email us. Like uh, so far, we we have received uh, thirty requests, and we just mm. distribute the the content to them. So it's it's a, a solidarity like no other, and I'm blown away. And uh, we are journalists. Uh, all of us are really proud with 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 with. With what we we we've done, I think. Hmm. And uh, Ambassador Lubis, I 
I have this pressing, pressing, very pressing question that I'd like to ask you now that I'm cornering you as, as a, a lawyer. We have very, very difficult laws still in, still in, masih mm. uh, bercokol, uh, still mm. in, in application in Indonesia. One of them is the most uh, outstanding. <laughs> astonishing law called Undang-Undang ITE, which I never understood, and it's so flexible that anybody can slap anything on anybody using that law. Then we have another law, which is um, the law that says we are not allowed to insult state institutions, and state institutions means the flag, the uh, national anthem, and the presidency. How can we be Uh, uh, responsible journalists in an environment where we cannot, where we cannot criticize anything said or done or acted upon by a state institution called the presidency because of this law. And then there are several, <coughs> several other laws that are still in application. And yet, these laws, when you look at it. Contravene the very tenets of the, the the Indonesian Constitution of 1945: freedom of speech, freedom of expression, mm. freedom of association, and all the basic freedoms uh, also guaranteed in the uh, Declaration of Human Rights. How, how, could you explain to us? Well, uh, uh, well, this is this is a long Please. long. Uh, <laughs> Long answer, yeah. Uh, if I have to uh, give an answer, Deborah, yeah, every year. But uh, I think uh, we are all facing a dilemmatic situation at the moment. Yeah. On one hand, you have you know democracy, freedom of uh, speech, and others. But on the other hand, the rise of illiberal policy. Yeah, illiberal policy that is. Yeah, uh, manifested manifested in many forms. So when Deborah talked about the repressive laws, Undang-Undang ITE, yeah, and then uh, the new draft of Criminal Code yeah, that's been uh, yes. uh, uh, submitted to DPR and deliberated, yeah, in the past, yeah, those laws uh, have number of articles that have been actually uh, revoked by the Constitutional Court, like defamation yeah, or libel. Constitutional Court has already revoked some of the provision in our criminal code, a current yeah, existing criminal code that is not any longer applicable because it is against the human rights. It is against the principles of uh, freedom of speech, but now they reinstate that in the new draft of criminal code. So this is what I call illiberal policy, illiberal policy that uh, reemerges, yeah, reemerges in so many countries. Now, now the COVID-19 pandemic has been used as a pretext by so many governments to accumulate power to accumulate powers and to prolong their power you know, if possible to extend you know the uh, terms of their presidency yeah so uh, this is what happened in another in some of the uh, countries in 
Eastern Europe. Yeah, let's see what happened in what happened in Hungary. Precisely, yeah, that is what happened also in uh, other uh, African countries trying to stay in power permanently. Yeah, by using pandemic COVID nineteen as a pretext, and I guess uh, in our case in Indonesia. We've seen this uh, phenomenon, yeah, right uh, long before pandemic COVID nineteen. Yeah. ITE law was uh, enacted, if I'm not mistaken, under the governments of Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono. Yes. Yeah. We now, were already it, in reform, right? When that yeah, when that was yeah. enacted, reformasi now, had already yes, been. Yes. Yes. Now, huh. now it is going to be. Uh, revised. It's going to be uh, probably uh, amended. Yeah. Now, what kind of amendment of this ITE law is going to uh, to be? Yeah. And I have I have not seen the the new draft yet. Yeah. But to me, yeah, it is yeah no less than it is no other than a illiberal uh, policy manifestations of. Governments who who are not ready to be yeah to be uh, democratic yeah to receive criticism from uh, other people. So uh, when you talk about well, is defamation is or uh, or libel uh, toward the state yeah toward the flag yeah is uh, permissible under the law. Well, I just would like to uh, draw your attention again, Deborah, uh, to the time case against Suharto. The time case against Suharto is a milestone. It's a landmark yeah, case in Indonesia. I defended Time magazine at the time, and we succeeded in defending Time and letting Time magazine publicize the alleged of corruption of the first family in the name of public interest. If it is in the name of public interest, any reporting is permissible. It's not unlawful. It's not against the law. As long as uh, this is the you no know, the condition. As long as they cover both sides. As long as they do check and recheck. Yeah. Now, are we having a setback? Yeah, you have to answer that. You know, are we having a setback now with our media, with our press freedom? Well, it is it is quite obvious, you know, but probably, uh, yeah, we we need to uh, to uh, probably mobilize more uh, people to talk about this and to do something about this because I cannot afford to have this, uh, yeah, another setback, yeah, in our history. Hmm. And uh, ambassador, what? Do you think the, the Pandora Papers, the Pandora mm. leak, actually mm. named names of people who are in power currently, who are in the top top positions in government and in uh, the the uh, what's it called in in legislative, mm. and and here here we are, Iwayfi uh, and me, ordinary mm. people looking askance at these people who 
are doing these things. Yeah. Well, probably, uh, but now it's leaked out. What happens if these illiberal policies uh, have effect on journalists who are trying to unearth these these anomalies? Yeah. What what? How would we look at it, Ban? If, if well, things happen what, that we don't want to happen. <laughs> okay, the law has what's called presumption of innocence. So someone has to be uh, considered innocent until you have a final and binding decision issued by the court. So uh, what happened with the Pandora? Yeah, that name, name. Yeah. Well, uh, to me, it is what I call public interest duties to expose. Yeah to disclose the wrongdoing. But again, it has to be based on facts. Yeah? It has to be through all these thorough investigations. Now, are they going to be uh, prosecuted? Maybe, yeah? depending on the law enforcement agencies in each country. But that is the, the risk that has to be taken by the media. The media cannot mm-hmm. avoid its responsibilities to expose the truth, to publicize the truth. So I I, uh, I support that, yeah, because uh, for me, if we are going to expose corruption, yeah, manipulations, that is something that, yeah, must be done by any media, yeah, with all costs. Yeah, with all costs, with all the risks yeah, that have to be taken. Yeah. Uh, that's why the uh, decision of this Time magazine is very important, uh, Deborah. Yeah. Why? Because mm-hmm. that decision, yeah, there's no definition, you know, uh, there's no uh, crime, you know, uh, in a defamation case if it is against the public figure. So the public figures is a public property. You can see them, Mm -hmm. you can read them, you can uh, access them, yeah? So you can criticize them. So Suharto, yeah, claimed that he has right to to, to take the case to court, yes, yeah? But uh, it doesn't mean that it cannot be criticized, yeah? So the media has its own place, you know, in criticizing the public figures. That was really a landmark, a landmark mm. uh, a case, yeah, Mang Todong, yeah. and you were it, you were, you were it in that, in in that situation. Mm. Um, here are some questions. Apparently, the question number one, maybe Bu Evi can answer: Is the censorship explicit and actively mm. enforced, or is it more about? Um, self-censorship for fear of reprisals. This question came from Kim Wangare. Number two, question number two. um, It's the same. Oh, yeah, it's the same question. Would you like to answer, Boefi? Yeah, the censorship is not as explicit as uh, what we had in the new order. I heard from senior colleagues that newsrooms would get calls from uh, mail, usually, right? 
supposedly yeah. 10e like abri abri jam like and we'd all go to the legal aid institution institute tonong mulia lubis heading yeah that was yeah that was the kind of censorship in the new order right now mm. uh, after digital disruption it takes a much more complicated uh, uh shape <laughs> it's um it employs uh digital attacks it employs trolls it employs uh the so-called buzzer or trolls the same mm. we're like we'll uh now there's this term called doxing like mm. uh spilling the the private information of journalists and also of course budebra has already mentioned it law especially journalists in the regions are very vulnerable to toward it law there are so many already uh that sued by it law they're journalists i mean they're really really journalists uh, working in the regions nationally they're more like uh, these people powers that be that are kind of like invisible and identifiable uh working uh like a lurking or <laughs> working like a shadow is like ghosts. Uh, <laughs> like ghosts like a specter yeah. uh uh they're uh, uh very much uh something's like what the new order called shapeless shapeless entities that is scary really scary for journalists even journalists nationally even even journalists working in mainstream legacy media like compass for example is not immune to uh to attempts of uh suppression like for example compass.id ran a story on oxygen shortage in yogyakarta months ago and the instagram account of the national police stem hoax on that Uh, particular news it's compass compass not not compass.com it's it's compass like you know the newspaper right mm-hmm. so no one is really immune to to that uh attempt to pressure us to not telling uh the facts to not uh telling the story from the ground so is it explicit maybe yes but we don't know who do it it is explicit it is blatant it is very rude uh but we don't know who do, who do, who who's behind who's behind it so i um, i don't know it's explicit actively enforced self censorship yes of course it it leads to self censorship like logically i mean uh we we are fear of 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 being docs right uh there's one journalist who is like fact just doing fact checking and uh some mob attack her or ordering food and suddenly his house is uh flooded by go food orders he has to pay it he has to pay them so those kind of attacks uh are like digital attacks uh lurking always lurking and threatening uh journalists so so that's that's What are the legal implications in this situation, uh, Ambassador? What What do you say? Can What we sue those people, those invisible people? How to sue those invisible people? 
and well, also the, the legal implications of this society facing these sort of uh, anomalies. Well, if they are invisible, there's no way you can sue them, of course, you know, but you may guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, I, I think uh, it really depends on what you mean by self-censorship. This is another issue that I would like to raise here. Because uh, not all self-censorship is bad. Because if you self-censor yourself for the sake of being responsible, I think uh, it is really entirely up to you what to publish and what not to publish. Uh, with regard to the rise of fundamentalism, extreme radicalism, in the name of religion. If I were a reporter, I would opt not to publicize all the uh, negative campaign publicized by those people. Because for me, plurality of the society is number one uh, principle that we have to uh, defend, to protect. So self-censorship might be negative, but to certain degree, it has a function in itself. Uh, with regard to all the abundant information, news, which are probably more, a lot of them are negative, yeah, because social media allow you to publicize everything. How, how to deal with that? Yeah, do we need a, a regulatory framework? To deal with that, well, I'm not so certain about that because uh, your experience with ITE law, with the new draft of criminal code, you know, once you put that in the law, that would uh, be a kind of uh, yeah, uh, what do you call it? You know, uh, a weapons that can be used anytime, yeah, by the mm. authority. Which means yeah. another setback, so, right? Yeah. Which so would I'm be not, another I'm setback. Not, I'm not, yeah. I don't incline oh. to have that kind of uh, regulatory framework, you know, uh, established. I do believe that, well, over time, there will be equilibrium. Yeah. The medias, the readers, the society at large would come to that state where, yeah, you know, where's the limit? Yeah. But how long does it take? Yeah, there are a number of uh, factors that have to be taken into consideration because it has to do with yeah, uh, education, it has to do with uh, the welfare of the people, yeah. it has to do with uh, effective law enforcement. Yeah, for, for, for us in Indonesia, that would need quite some time before we come to that stage. But I'm against uh, state intervention. Yeah. Because yes. it is very dangerous to invite the intervention of the state, you know, uh, if, yeah, we want to have a fresh freedom. So that that could be a closing remark from Ambassador Lubis. What about uh, you, Bu Efi? Would you do you have any last remarks? Because apparently time is running very short, and we have three minutes left. Yeah, so I would like to go back a little bit to to serving to 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 our experience in serving the underreported, a seemingly 
a seemingly innocuous activity that turns out to be to be to be subversive i think uh, mm. uh surprisingly uh so I work a lot on, on sexual abuse stories and uh, the the awards we we got. I'm I'm not alone. A lot of journalists uh, uh, we collectively received that award from Tasrif and Sopa. We 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 got the awards for our collaborative works on sexual abuses on campus. And what we did was we amplify we amplify five the voices that are like hidden in, in dark corners in, in universities. They are very afraid of speaking up. Uh, and they're very afraid of ITE law. And we the journalists also kind of like wor- very worried about, about ITE law. So a lot of journalists, I think, do self-censorship uh, in that way, Bang Todung. In particular, if it's sexual sexual abuse, uh, it's very sensitive. It's very scary for a lot of people. So, yes, uh, we serve the underreported, not just sexual abuse uh, victims, right? But for disclosing, I would like to to uh, to focus on sexual abuse because we are here in the world. Of Me Too movement, uh, Obama says the future, or Michelle, Michelle or Obama, <laughs> the future is a female, for example. And yes, we see we see a lot of uh, victims rise up and speak, and and that's like this is an important moment uh, in the history of the world that women speak and speak more. And in Project Mulatuli, we, we like to serve the underreported, not just sexual abuse victims, I, one, once again, but in particular this, because we, we got attacked because of our story on social, uh, on social abuse, right? So this, is, this is resonates um, for me today is very like, God, when we were born women, at some point we will go against the world. Right, we'll contra mundo, and we will be subversive, uh, one way or another. So that's why we project Mutatuli. We are we are here to serve the underreported, to 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 hold power accountable. And yes, apparently, that's something that I think was simple. Apparently, not simple. <laughs> apparently, we got attacked by a very serious attack. I think, and um, no, yeah. So I think. I'm sorry we, we ran out of time, but thank you very much, uh, uh, Ambassador Lubis, for giving that final statement that sometimes self-censorship is good. And thank you, Bu Epi, for reminding us that the future is female. And thank you very much to the Ubud Writers and Readers Festival for giving us this opportunity to discuss these very important issues. And please, everybody, read open your website and look at Project Multatuli. Ah, thank you. Thank you, <laughs> thank you so much, Bang Todung. I thank hope you so much. Thank well you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank And so, and to the festival partners who made the Ubud Writers and Readers Festival possible, thank you to Ibu Janet Leneef. All power to you. And don't forget to keep on looking at all the programs in the festival from the 8th to the 17th. See you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.